I'm going to read to you the parable of the prodigal son. And so it's probably going to come on the screen. You can follow with me. It's an incredible story. So it's the love of the father. And that's why it's Father's Day. That's what I want to talk about today. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that fails me. So he divided it to them, to them his livelihood. Sometimes, you know, we run away from God because we're not quite getting what we want. This is what the prodigal son basically did. And not many days after, it never works, by the way. <laughs> Younger son gathered all, journeyed to a far country. There he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all, the, all there arose a severe famine in the land. He began to be in want because actually everything he wanted was in the father's house, which he had walked away from. And anyway, uh, verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? He knew it was all in the father's house. Interesting, isn't it? He's gone at runaway, but he actually knew it was in the father's house. It's amazing. So uh, then he comes to, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and spare and I perish with hunger? All right, then go to verse 18. I will arise, smart decision, go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned, it's repentance is there, against heaven and before you. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father. But watch this, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran. Everyone say ran. ran. And fell on his neck. <laughs> Come on. And kissed him. Like this dirty, rotten rascal that had turned on him. Here's the father's love. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, watch this, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put, on the, put, a, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Like this is incredible. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Like, hello, what, what is this God, the father that we're talking about? And uh, for this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Watch this. Now the older son, hello, was in the field. He came in, he drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things meant? Hey, what's going on here? He said to him, your brother, whom you should have loved, has come home. And because he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. Wow. Oh, gee. Would not go in. Angry that the father forgave the son that had done wrong and received him back. He was angry. Wow. Incredible, eh? When we get saved, <laughs> people aren't angry at us. People love us. But here's the elder brother. Terrible. <clears throat> so Anson said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving, I've never transgressed your commandment uh, at any time. And you have never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad that your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. May God bless the reading of his word. <laughs> Grab a seat. I'm talking to you this morning on Father's Day about the unstoppable, passionate love of God that He has for you and I, and we see this in the story. So there's a man driving out on the road and he notices a car about 100 metres in front of him 
And uh, he was shocked that the car sort of slowed down and someone opened the back door, uh, back seat, uh, back door of the back seat and uh, threw this collie dog out onto the road. And the collie dog falls on the pavement and ends up in a ditch. But then to his surprise, the collie dog gets up bleeding and wounded and still runs after the car. Despite the terrible treatment of the owner to the dog, the dog still remained faithful to the owner. Friends, this is a little picture like the prodigal son of our lives, you know, of what God is like towards us. That even when we have done wrong and we have failed him and we have messed up, but like that collie dog, not that God's like that, but God still runs after us with pursuit and with great compassion and great love, regardless of what we have done. And that's what I love about the story of the prodigal son. It brings it out so incredibly well, the relentless love of God. They say two things are certain in life, death and taxes. There's one thing far more certain than that, and that is the unstoppable, unconditional love of God. That will never, ever ever end. There's a day taxes will come to an end and a sense death will come to an end when it's all over. But God's love for you will never end. Prophetic word given to Marjorie Kemp, 34-year-old widow. In 1667, is still true and powerful today. And these are the words. More pleasing to me than all your prayers, your works, your penances, is that you would believe I love you. Wow, knowing and believing God loves you means more to him than almost anything else. And I think it's true for us as parents, isn't it? We want our kids to know that we love them. And it's heartbreaking if we think that they don't when we actually do. And so it's an important thing, isn't it, for our, in our lives to know, and I want you to try and get a revelation this morning of how much God loves you. If you can capture this, I think it would just change your whole walk with God. <clears throat> but being Father's Day, I thought I'd try and pull out a Father's Day joke. So how many want to hear this joke? You have to promise to laugh. Like, even if you don't understand it, you laugh anyway, all right? Even if it's not funny, you laugh un- otherwise, because I'm the father of the house. And so you want to bless me this morning. So here we go. I wasn't sure I'd give you this joke, but I'll have a go anyway. Let's see what we think. So this guy goes to a men's conference. <clears throat> and here's all about, you know, the role of a man. And he gets home late, very late, and he wakes up his wife. That was his first mistake. <laughs> the second mistake was, he said, I've been to a men's meeting, and you need to know I am now the head of this house. And this is the way it's going to be from now on. And for the next half an hour, he gave her both barrels of how he was going to run the show. Well, he didn't see her for six days. The seventh day, he woke up in a hospital bed and he could just see her slightly out of his left eye. He had received the five-fold ministry. So, <laughs> thank you for laughing at a not very funny joke. All right, let's get back to this. So we're talking about men, fathers. I read this quote. The mass of men live out lives of quiet desperation. 
and go to the grave with the song still in them. Can I encourage you to sing your song? Be all God's called you to be before you go to the grave. One of the reasons they die with the song still in them is because they accumulate hurts. And then they act macho, they don't show it. They don't cry, they don't show the chairs because, hey, I'm a man. So they look good on the outside, but inside they are broken and they are hurting. And that is common of so, so many men. And men as much as anybody, fathers as much as anybody needs to know, need to know they're loved. Loved by God, but also loved by others. They just need to know that because they're actually not macho as you might think. They're just human beings with emotions like everyone else. And so the problem then becomes this, is when men carry accumulated hurts and pain, they look for answers in all the wrong places. So they dull the pain with drugs, with alcohol, violence, pornography. The list just goes on to dull the pain that's taken place because they've accumulated hurts. Another dulling of the pain is also food. Just so many different ways. That's why we have so many addictions out there. People are, uh, are medicating the pain that is inside. That's not an excuse, but it's a truth. It's a reality we need to understand. I want to encourage every man, every father in this place, belong to a small group. Because in a small group, you can talk about your needs in a safe environment. You can talk about your pain. You can talk about your, your tears. You can talk about your hurt and not accumulate them so that you then have to dull the pain with the wrong things. They say this, so research tells us that men grow spiritually seven times faster when they're in a small group than when they just come on a Sunday morning. Can I say that again? Men, and it's probably true for all of us, by the way, grow seven times faster. Everyone say seven times faster. Yeah. How many of you would like to grow seven times faster? Yeah. Hey, wouldn't we all? Small group, friends, is a place. But I'm talking about men specifically uh, focusing on that and uh, why it's so important. And you know why there's such an attack on men today? It's because the influence of men and fathers is so incredible. They say, if a, this is a number of years ago, if a child comes to Christ, 3.5% of the family will follow. If a woman comes to Christ, 17% of the family will follow. If the man comes to Christ, 93% of the family will follow. Come on, men, rise up in Jesus' name. Men are, you know, some say men are the final frontier for God to absolutely raise up a mighty army that will transform the church and ultimately transform the nation. So if a child comes to Christ, 3.5%. Make a note of it. A mother or woman comes to Christ, 17%. When the man comes to Christ and follows you, 93% of the families will follow. So going back to the story of the prodigal son, I wanna share with you three aspects of the Father's love towards you today that is demonstrated in this passage. The number one point is this, is total acceptance. So I ask the question, why did the Father run to the Son? You know, the Son's done really bad, probably hurt the Father incredibly. 
And soon as the father sees him coming back, he runs. And, uh, you know, I would imagine the son was, was nervous. He's probably planning his speech of what he's going to say. And he's got a shame face. His head's probably down. He's going back to the father. He looks up and his father is running towards him with love and kindness. Must have been in his eyes like this. Son would have got the shock of his life. Wow. The father's love. And it teaches us today, you know, love runs. That's why the father ran. He didn't just walk. You know, if it was me, if I was a father, I would have got the boy crawling back to me, but not the father God. He's different. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's not even like your father was or my father was. He runs to us because of his unconditional love. This tells me, his running tells me that there is not an ounce of rejection towards any born again, any Christian or any person who repents and comes back to the Father. There is not one ounce of rejection. There is total 100% acceptance in Jesus. This is the love of the Father. If you have messed up, if you have done wrong, friends, the blood of Christ has never lost its power. The Father runs towards you. Calm down, Tark. It's not that exciting, is it? <laughs> Trying to keep calm, but I don't do very well at that. Not an ounce of rejection towards anyone who turns to God with repentance. And you know, when we fail, we wonder if God still loves us. Well, the answer is He does. Parents, fathers, can we do the same for our kids? If they mess up, they're going to mess up. But may they always know your unconditional love. You know, we may have to adjust them and correct them. Can I give you some advice? Father of the house, for every one correction, make sure that there's five encouragements. You got it? For every one correction, five encouragements, because we survive on encouragement. If we don't get encouragement and we only get corrections, we are damaged emotionally. I've seen it too many times. Fathers, don't do that. Mothers, parents, don't do that. Love your kids. Yeah, correct them when they have to. Bible talks about that. But five times more, you're encouraging them. You want your kids when they leave home to say, Dad, you encouraged me so much. You corrected me. Yeah, I deserved it. But man, what I remember most is how much you encouraged me. It's gone very quiet in the house, so I better move on. I love what the preacher T.D. Jake said. So I'm going to quote him somewhat. Had about four kids, I think. Maybe one, I don't know how many. <clears throat> he said, I tell all my children, I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. I don't care what you become. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how terrible it is. You can always come home. You can come home broke. You can come home sick. You can come home afflicted. You can come home shattered. You can come home broken. You can come home addicted. You can always come home to your Father. Wow. When I read that, I thought, whoo, that is fantastic. And friends, that's what God the Father is like with each one of us. We can always come home. Doesn't matter how much of a mess we make of things, we can always come home. And fathers, <laughs> can I encourage you to have the same attitude within your home as well? You know, sometimes, you know, well, mo- well our children don't actually need a boss <laughs> or an author- authoritarian father, uh, uh, for- authoritarian figure. They need a father. 
You know, they don't need someone who's just going to tell them to what to do all the time. They need a daddy. It's very quiet. Keep going anyway. Are you getting this though? You know what? We want God the Father to be us, to us. Our children want us to be to him, to them. The same sort of thing. And so that incredible love of God. And I know children can be a real challenge and all the rest of it, but <clears throat> they need to know you love them unconditionally because that's the model of our Father in heaven. Amen. Is there a praise in the house? Is there a shout? Is there, a pra- Is there anything in the house? <laughs> all right, number two, it's gonna get better, all right? That's, that's the correction part, all right? Now, this is maybe if that's what you felt. But here's this, it gets better. The second part is this. Regardless of what you have done, God has a great future for you. Wow. You know, the prodigal son was willing to be a hired servant. Uh, but the father's plans were different. The robe, the ring, the sandals. Often we see ourselves as not much value. We've done wrong, especially if we've messed up. We think we don't deserve the blessing of God. Well, fact, fact is, friends, you don't. You don't, you never have, and you never will deserve the blessing. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't earn the blessing of God. That's a favour of God that comes upon our lives. So don't try and earn it, uh, uh, earn it because that's not the way it works. But the prodigal son teaches us that despite our past sins, despite our terrible history at times, God, as we come to Him in repentance, God has a great plan for our future. While we're set yet sinners. It says in Romans 8:32, He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's the love of the Father. You know, I read this statement. Man is great, not because he hasn't failed, but man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. It's not an issue of if you fail, because you will fail. I've failed more than once, many times, but failure's never stopped me. Failure's never stopped me. Tell the person next to you, failure will never stop me. Because you will fail, but don't let it ever stop you. Too many fathers, or too many of us had fathers that were a poor reflection of what God the Father is like. Listen to the story of Stephen Lungu, the eldest son of a teenage mother in Zimbabwe. And uh, the mother was on her own. She was trapped in a difficult marriage. She drank very, very heavily. When Stephen was three years old, the mother took him and his brother and little baby sister to town and said she needed to go to the bathroom. And she never returned. Three years old. Children were cared for by a very reluctant aunt, which wasn't a good setup. So at the age of 11, Stephen is living, living on the streets. He's uh, bitter towards God, gets involved, he joins gangs, he's involved in violence, terrible violence, theft, destruction. One day a traveling evangelist comes to town, thousands of people are gathered, and Stephen hears about it, and he wants to get revenge on God. He blamed God for all of this. So he packed a whole lot of um, bombs, Uh, to the end in his bag and he went along to the event in order to cause mass destruction. The evangelist speaking said that the Holy Spirit had warned him and Stephen's listening to this that many in the audience may die soon without Christ. So Stephen thought his plan had been discovered 
and he's mesmerized by this, and he listens to the speaker. He's so captivated by the words of the speaker, he gives his life to Christ and is wonderfully saved. So then he goes to the police, he confesses his crimes, and the sergeant releases him, listens to the story, and he releases him. Then uh, Stephen became a full-time evangelist. Some day, some years later, an old lady comes to the front, I think at one of his crusades, and it was his mother who had abandoned him. Regardless of your history, regardless of how life has treated you, regardless of your upbringing, God has a great plan for your life. Stephen's had a terrible father, mother who abandoned him, but God was greater than his history. With the cross, God took the worst event in history and turned it into the very best. God can take the worst event in your history and somehow by the miracle power of God, turn it into something incredible, something amazing in your life. You probably think, how is that possible? I don't know, but I know my God is able. God is greater than your history. God is greater than your history. God is greater than your past. God is greater than whatever has happened to your life. God is greater than the mistakes you have made. God is greater than the failures you have made. God is greater than your history. And God has a great plan for your life. God has a great future for your life. Upstairs and downstairs, every single one of us. This is the story of the prodigal son. He had gone and he had messed up big time. But when he came back to the Lord, wow. God had it all waiting for him, had a great plan uh, set up for the rest of his life. So your father can do this for you. Number three that we learn from the prodigal son, every sin is forgiven. Some of us can't get our heads around this. And so we keep replaying the things we've done wrong, not realizing they're under the blood of Jesus. And when you talk to Jesus about some sin, he says, what are you talking about? He looks up the records, there's nothing here. And so we're talking about something that no longer exists. That's the power of the blood of Jesus, friends. Every sin is forgotten. Every sin is in the depths of the ocean. It's gone, forgiven. It's, 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 God's, got a, God's got rid of it. So every sin. So I read the story of uh, this woman, uh, wrote a book, and God took her to heaven a number of times, and God showed her what happens when someone's saved. So watch this. So she's taken to these rooms. They're like big library with all these shelves and books and all the rest on it, or, or, or um, records all on it. And she's taken to the room of a man who just got saved. And she said the first thing that happened was his name was recorded on paper. And when the angels reported the man's salvation, all heaven began to praise and to magnify God. Then she noticed in the man's record that page after page after page were washed away in the blood of Jesus and there were no sins recorded against his name. No sins recorded against his name, against my name when we ask forgiveness. She was reminded of Isaiah 43 verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Then she saw the Lamb's book of life on the altar of God. And a hand came out of the cloud. This is awesome, isn't it? Opened up the book, and the man's name was written in the Lamb's book of life. When a person gets saved, their name is written 
Question, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because that's where it's going to be once you give your life to Christ. Every Christian, I read this, watch this. Every Christian, every Christian person owes their salvation to the fact that during the days of their sinning, before coming to Christ, the door of mercy was kept open, knowing that that was not your final acts. I thought about that before I came to Christ and all my sinning, the door of mercy stayed open. Wow, this is the amazing God that we serve. The love of the Father is beyond comprehension. One last thought on this. With the prodigal son, we see that when we repent of our failures, there is no longer judgment and condemnation from God towards us. I read this statement in the paper recently. The ex-warrior, Manu Vatuvai, went to prison because of drugs. You know the story. He made this statement. Got my attention. He said, in prison, he said, there is no judgment because they have all made mistakes. Hello? Should, not, should that not be the church? Do we need prison to model to us? To not be judgmental of other people? It just, I just thought, oh God, help us. Help us. Recently heard from about a Christian leader. Wanted very successful but messed up. <clears throat> Made this comment that, again, really got my attention. The thing that surprised them was that those who were pursuing holy lives were less, judgment, less judgmental than those who were living liberal lives. And they were shocked. They thought the holiness people would be more judgmental. I'll tell you why holiness people are not more gentle. Because when you pursue holiness, you realize how sinful you are yourself. And once you know how sinful you are yourself, the Bible says it, doesn't it? You know, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? When you know that yourself, it's very hard to judge anybody. That's where I sit, friends. I know what's in here. So when people mess up in that, I'm not judging, folks. I'm not condemning because I know where I am. But let prison not be the model for the church to learn to be not judgmental and not condemning of other people because the blood of Jesus has never lost its power. Sometimes when we're judging someone about something, we don't realize that it's under the blood and there's actually no record of it anywhere in eternity. And we're jumping on something. It's ridiculous nonsense, folks. So the prodigal son teaches us that great, great truth that with God there is no judgment in our lives. Now, having said all of that, because God loves us, and His love is unchanged, that is not a license to sin. 
We are holiness preachers in this place. We believe in living right. We believe in a godly lifestyle, but we also believe in the power of the blood of Jesus to, to, to forgive us when we come to Him in repentance. The key is holiness, but the second key is repentance. Once there's repentance, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment. The blood of Jesus covers it all, and we live in the freedom and the liberty of the children of God. We've got a couple of minutes to finish this off. Jesus is saying to you today, I haven't changed my mind about you. Do you like that? I haven't changed my mind about you. I haven't changed my mind about your purpose and your destiny. I like that. Then he says this, I knew you would mess up. I knew you would mess up. I could look at you all in the eye, you know, if I could get every eye in this place. So I knew, or God would say to you, I knew you would mess up. But I put great grace on great mistakes. I put great grace on great mistakes. Do you know why we need to hear this message? Because we all make mistakes. We all mess up at times. We all get it wrong at times. But that's not to stop us. God would go on and say, if you'll look to me, I will never give up on you. We think we have to earn God's love. We have to think we have to learn, earn his favor and his blessing. But we don't. Even before we were Christians, even before we were saved, even before we did any good thing, Christ died for us. The greatest blessing of all, salvation came. We never earned it and we never will earn the favour and the blessing of God. So it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter where you are today. What matters is where you finish. And I want to declare over each and every one of you, you will finish well in the presence of God. You will fulfil what God has planned and purposed for your life. Man is not great because he has not failed, but he's great because failure did not stop him. Failure, messes, haven't stopped me. They're not going to stop you either. You can and you will, I trust, finish well in Jesus' name. This Father's Day, your Heavenly Father, I believe, wants to remind you of His unconditional, unstoppable, passionate love for you which will never, ever change. It doesn't matter what you do, where you go, how bad it is, you can always come home. You can come home sick, you can come home a mess, you can come home troubled, you can come home addicted, you can come home any way you like, you can always come home to God the Father. And the first step you make towards Him You've got to believe He is running towards you. His arms are open wide. He wants to embrace you and He wants to love you. He wants to get out the fatted calf, the ring and the sandals. And, and He said, come on, it's time to make Mary, my, Mary, my son who is lost, my daughter who is lost, has come home. It is time to celebrate the love of the passionate, unstoppable love of God in Jesus' Name. And everybody said...